Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It's a beautiful Wednesday morning, February 17th, 2021, which still sounds weird for me to say. He is Tristan Happy Cockroft, happy that pitchers and catchers have reported to spring training. Kyle Sapi produces and researches our little show, and I'm merely Eric Carabell. Someone has to drive the bus. So much going on today. Now, there are players at spring training in Florida and Arizona. They probably reported before today because they had to, like, isolate and all that stuff. But lots to get to on today's fine show. ESPN's Fantasy Draft Kit is launched. Rankings, cheat sheets, Tristan's important playbook, AJ Mass with pitchers to watch, strategy, all that, and a lot more on the way. Today's show, more signings and trades. Kyle's Labor Mixed League Draft on Tuesday night. Looks like a winning team. Tristan, how are you this fine day? Staying warm, I hope. As warm as possible, but you know what? It feels warmer because we could say pitchers and catchers. It is awesome. All right. Today's a good day. I, I love it when we know spring training is underway. That's why it's like H- 50 degrees warmer. That's why it stands for happy. Happy you're not in Texas. Um, okay. So let's talk baseball today. And I'm trying to figure out what the biggest news story is since our last show. We did have a podcast earlier in the week. It was a uh, preview by position show, but we'll get to the news right now. All right. Let me ask you this. Um, I like doing stuff like this and putting you on the spot. Who would you rather draft uh, and what for uh, this year? Uh, Andrew Benintendi, now of the Royals, or CJ Crone, now of the Rockies? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, Check your rankings, I suppose, but I don't know. Ben Attendee. Ben Attendee. Uh, And and part of that is just that CJ Crone is on a non-guaranteed deal. I do think he's going to make the team, but they could do a little mix and match at first base. It's it's one of those because he has to earn it. I don't know if he's going to have the volume that Ben Attendee does. That's all it is. He's going to be – Crone is going to be a guy you get in NL labor. I know it. That is so (laughs) – such a you pick. Which is why I'm a little surprised to hear. Like, I would take Ben Attendi too. Uh, someone tweeted me, like, it, it, you still believe in Ben Attendi? It, it's impossible to believe in Ben Attendi after the past couple of seasons. But he is a good bounce back option. But CJ Crone could win the first base job and play half his games at Coors Field. So if you ask me who's more likely to hit 30 home runs, it ain't Ben Attendi. But for value, I guess Ben Attendi could be like a 20 home or 20 steal guy again. What do you do with him? Like, you have him in a dynasty league and you were thinking, oh, this guy's a building block player. And he wasn't a building block player for Boston. They, Boston just gave up on him. I mean, Franchi Cordero, say what you want. But come on. You I mean, you're trading him for Franchi Cordero? And, and and I assume you're not drafting Franchi Cordero over either Ben Attendi or Chrome. But you could give me your thoughts there, too. It's just it seems like Boston said, all right. He makes too much money. We're dumping him. We don't care. And we don't think he's ever going to be good again. So fantasy managers feel the same way. If they do, they're they're it's they're rightfully so to think that way. Uh, ben Attendi has shown no signs of making the necessary adjustments to become the star that we all forecasted a couple of years ago. And I think the best thing you can say for him is that he's young enough to improve, but there are no hints of it. I've dug deeply into his his you know player stats and scouting reports and all the like, and I haven't found anything that suggests there's imminent improvement. The you know he's young; it's a change of scenery. Those can be good things, but it's it's sort of a shot in the dark. You mentioned with with Crone, I don't think this has anything to do with the power. I think the power is already something that's already built into his skill set. What Coors is going to do is inflate his batting average, and 
I mean, you're going to have to pay for him in the actual auction part of labor, unfortunately. So he's locked into your lineup. But that is a great situation where you could exploit the matchups, especially in our game where you have the daily lineups. You play the cores games. You play the games against left-handed pitchers. You're going to exploit probably each and every one of those home runs that he gives you. Cordero, I just want to throw something out about Cordero because you mentioned him. The only reason I wouldn't suggest Cordero is an interesting power uh, upside guy, a little bit like Crone in Colorado, is that it's not a great fit in Fenway Park where you have that spacious right field. But he's got that great raw power, uh, good defensive player. I think that's one of the reasons that they picked him up. I'm not forgetting about him either. He's a guy that you get late in AL only drafts who could give you some pretty good profit. Right. And Boston's lineup, Verdugo, Bogarts, Devers, J.D. Martinez, Christian Vasquez, Hunter Renfro. Cordero fits in after that group, just as Benintendi, I think, fits in after the heart of the Kansas City lineup, which doesn't look so bad either. I mean, I'm not a Mondesi fan, but I mean, you know, they have some other stuff around him. I think Carlos Santana is better than you do. Um, So Boston's lineup, it's interesting to me, actually. I think they're going to hit a lot of home runs. The bottom of that lineup, after the, the heart of the order, Renfro, big power, Cordero, 25 homers I could see. Bobby Dahlbeck could hit 35 homers if he could just, you know, not swing at every ball outside. And then Ricky Hernandez, the second base, could hit 20, 25 home runs. So there's a lot of power, maybe not a lot of on base in Boston's lineup, but lots of players moved on and not all of them are going to matter. So I'll just go quickly here and you tell me yes, no, like it, don't care. And, you know, in the ESPN League, James Paxton with Seattle, top 40, top 50 starting pitcher. Perhaps. I, I worry about the – he's going to miss some time. The, the injury history cannot be ignored at this stage. But I, I think he's going to give you better numbers when he's on the mound. The problem with him is just it, it's tough to give you a top 40 valuation on a guy that's going to give you at best 25 starts. I assume Paxton over Rich Hill, who's now in Tampa, but he is in Tampa. And whenever I see a pitcher go to Tampa or, as we saw this morning, a pitcher traded away from Tampa, I mean, nobody was drafting John Curtis anyway. But the fact that the Rays gave up on John Curtis and maybe they just had too many bodies tells me, OK, I don't want John Curtis. But when he was in Tampa, you know, in a sim league, I was like, yeah. So Rich Hill in Tampa for the 20 starts he makes versus Paxton in Seattle for the 25 he makes. I could make the case for Hill. You, you can. It's a great situation for him because, you know, Tampa, the reputation for developing good pitchers there. The ballpark, it's got a great pitching, uh, pitching friendly ball, uh, ballpark factor. The concern I have for Hill is more of an injury question. He's he's 40 or he's 41, I think, entering this year. He might turn 41 during the, the year. And he he actually had one of the biggest fa- average fastball velocity drops last year. Uh, that that bothered me based on, on coupling that with the age. There is a steeper downside for Rich Hill than there is for James Paxton. Other pitchers here, Aaron Sanchez to the Giants. He wasn't healthy at all last year or the year before. Jake Arrieta on the Cubs. Good luck there, Cubs, as a Phillies fan speaking. Uh, Justin Turner back with the Dodgers. We did not rank Turner very well for the past month or two, but now that he's back with the Dodgers, do you believe he's not exactly, you know, Cal Ripken, you know, in terms of playing every day either, but he hits for average and enough power to matter? Yeah, and if I look at Turner's numbers here, Play Raider is ranging on the high end, 83rd overall, 210th on the low end. That was last season's limited sample there. He's he's your classic corner and field type. The reason I think we didn't rank him so well is we didn't know where he would wind up. I mean, this is one of the better landing spots to return to where he was last season. I, I think he's an, a perfectly adequate corner infielder. I, I actually, when, when I saw him sign the contract, the thing that, that caught me was getting incentives based on MVP votes. I, I I think that's a bit of a long shot at this stage of his career, but it's not 
outside the realm of possibility as a good enough year to pick up a lower placing MVP vote, I suppose. It's ridiculous that you can even have MVP voting in a contract in baseball, knowing what we know about who votes where the way they vote. I mean, look at some of the players that got that Hall of Fame votes just because they were friends with them. I mean, LaTroy Hawkins, good guy. Hall of Fame vote. Come on. Um, Astrubal Cabrera is now in Arizona, which means Metketel Marte might move to center field. Does that matter? It only really matters from the year-over-year thing that if you've got him in a keeper league that in 2022, he might be only outfield eligible. Uh, The second base eligibility is – it's important. It's not the driving force for him. But we don't lose it until next year. (laughs) We have it now, so that's important. Minor signings, Matt Shoemaker in Minnesota. You you care about that? He pitched well. He doesn't pitch often, but the last couple of – 11 starts with Toronto over the past two seasons, 3-1-4 ERA and a whip under one. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I like him. I think he's, he's a good right-handed, right-handed Rich he, Hill. Yeah, a little bit. He actually, if if you if you talk about the, let's say, past half decades worth of production, only when healthy, it probably goes Rich Hill, Matt Shoemaker. Well, maybe not five years, two years. Matt Shoemaker and then James Paxton. It's pretty close between the three of them. So that's it, interesting to, to call him the righty, Rich Hill. Uh, Nomar Mazar in Detroit. Do you care? Another case of change of scenery. Haven't seen anything to hint that he's made the improvements necessary to become a star. That's a good pickup by Detroit. I, um, who's the other one, too? There was another signing like Detroit, that. that I thought oh, was big Detroit has, has picked up a couple guys here for on the cheap. And yeah. It's an interesting lineup because uh, Jonathan Scope, who hits for power at second base, I mean, you, if you make him your utility at your middle infielder in you know, the last couple of rounds, that's not the worst thing. Heimer Candelero hit last year. Um, they picked up Wilson Ramos, Mazzara, Renato Nunez to maybe play first base or DH. He hits for power. They've got some guys you never think about, but now you might have to think of I mean, You're going to be in AL labor in two weeks, and you're going to have to think about a couple of these Tigers. I'm, I'm not a Ramos guy at all. That you can have them all day. I, I, Robbie Grossman, maybe steal double digit yeah. bases. You know, you're, get you're, right base. that, you're right that a lot of these guys should not be forgotten. And, and that's what's happening, especially in those central divisions in both leagues, that there are players who, because these teams just aren't exciting or real rebuilding, that we're going to ignore the massive amounts of playing time handed to guys like Scope and Mazzara and probably Wilson Ramos. I just don't think... Ramos declined. All the metrics went steeply down last year, and I'm concerned that he's hit that part of the aging curve where there's no significant recovery. Yeah, he's outside my top 10 catchers for fantasy. He's still out there as a free agent. Jackie Bradley Jr., Trevor Rosenthal, who at this point is not getting a closing job, I don't think, and Jake Oda. So I moved him down in my rankings. Jake Oda Rizzi, wherever he goes, he would be in the rotation. But that's uh, that's your 10 minutes of news, and now let's do a closer carousel. Sing it, Tristan. <laughs> It's the closer carousel. Surprising amount of news lately. Uh, the Padres signed Mark Melanson. And you might be thinking, why do I care? Well, he was a closer in 2020 and the year before. And San Diego could make him the closer this season. They could also go with Drew Pomerantz or any number of pl- uh, pitchers that are worthy of it. And they also signed who? K- uh, Kayla. Can it? Can Kayla. Kayla. Mm-hmm. So I, who I don't think will close. But... Right now, I mean, Pomerantz, Emilio Pagan, Melanson. Who gets the most saves on this team? I I think it's Melanson. I, you're going to say it's crazy. You would draft Pomerantz before Melanson because of the strikeouts, but I think Melanson gets more saves. Do you, th- you agree? I don't think that's crazy. And my first thought was, yeah, if I have to pick one guy for the most saves, it would be Mark Melanson. 
And even with that, I'm really not interested. I think this is a classic committee-driven bullpen. Do nothing but exploit individual matchups, righty-lefty, style of pitcher, and you know history of the style of hitter that the guy is facing based on what's coming up that inning. And I wouldn't have roles. And if that's the case, I don't want any part of this bullpen for saves, even though it's got a lot of good arms. Right. And I think we would agree Pomeranz is the, is the pitcher we draft first for this season. But he's not in my top 10 anymore, and it's because I don't think he's getting 30 saves. It might be more like 15 saves. So, And I put Melanson around number 20, I believe. And I don't, I don't expect Pagan to get any saves. But who, who knows what San Diego could do here. It's very interesting. Do, um, do others, you think that that could be like Tampa's, though, where they had, what was it, 12 guys each got a save? I mean, I don't no. know that San Diego is going to get that many, but five guys with five saves? No, I think it's basically Pomerantz and Melanson. I, I don't view Pagan that way. They didn't seem to view him that way last season. And then after that, Matt Strom, Pierce Johnson, Kariana Kayla. I, I, I think it's basically Melanson and Pomerantz, and I could see them kind of splitting 40, 45 saves that way. Um, it's a good team, you know. But, you know, this season, I think we're going to see pitchers used differently, not just six-man rotations, but I think relief pitchers as well. I don't think you're going to see any relief pitchers pitching three days in a row. And if San Diego expect, expects to win 100 games, they're going to have save uh, capability opportunities out there for other pitchers. So, you know, maybe Austin Adams gets a saver too. I guess you're right yeah. in that sense. Austin Adams is, is the one you that I've, yeah. I was wondering whether you'd mention. I, I just think it's a premium role. It's a premium closer's role like Tampa, which is why I link the two. But I am not sure we're going to be able to find the saves on any given night. I'm, I'm a little concerned about that. Um, the Cubs, for some reason, just announced even before he reported that Craig Kimbrell is their closer. Not, not that we had any doubt there. And our friend Todd Zola, who we'll have on a future show to talk projections or whatnot, Park Effects, he tweeted out the other day. I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't have the exact quote, but Craig Kimbrell's first few outings of the 2020 seasons were abysmal, and then the last five outings were pretty good. And you know, we, you and I, tend to view Kimbrell in a negative light, but. If Adalberto Mon, if he's the, let's put it this way, Adalberto Monesi didn't do anything in August, and then in September he was arguably the best fantasy option out there. Why he don't we do that? Best. He was so, the best. Let's not let's not mince words there. He was the best, and he was eighth best in points leagues. Well, Kimbrel, if he had a bad August and a good September, why aren't we not giving him any possibility of being a top ten fantasy closer? And I am, and I'm warming to that. I wanted to see whether they would lock him into the role, and the fact that they gave him that proclamation makes me more optimistic. Uh, I'm not lumping in uh, – well, let's see. Okay, yeah, yeah. So the September numbers, uh, it was eight appearances, seven and a third innings, three hits, no runs, no walks. No walks is the key one, and 13 strikeouts. He seemed to straighten things out, and we talked a lot the year before about the late signing could have thrown off his rhythm. What if the pandemic also threw off his rhythm last year – a lot of these players didn't get their usual work to to ramp up for the season. Kimbrell could be a very good value among closers this year. You know, I didn't even realize that until I saw Zola's tweet. Nary a walk in September. And it only he allowed a hit in only two of his eight outings in September. That's a really good month. And we didn't excellent. even care. Wow. All right. I'm moving him up. Like I just feel bad about moving him up over like Drew Pomerantz, who I think is going to put up better, like, well, maybe not strikeout numbers, but ERA and whip. But you're right. I mean, Kimbrough is getting 30, 35 saves. I could see that. And I, I'm, I'm going to caution this because you've brought it up at other times. And, and we both are, we're both responsible for this. We fall prey to this. Control was a major issue. He had six walks in the three appearances before this. 
And then they eased things off of him from the closer role, and suddenly he got things straightened out. It's the same as Josh Hader. Josh Hader had that five-walk nightmare that one game in August. Did you know that after that, he didn't walk a single player going into the postseason? Not a single one. Which is why we shouldn't be looking at 2020 overall numbers because they're too affected by one or two outings or mm-hmm. whatever for starting pitchers. It's the Lance Lynn theory. You know, his last outing, his manager couldn't care less, gave up 10 runs, it ruined his ERA and whip. Well, yeah. you know, up until that game, like it cost him, it didn't cost him money, but like it cost him like ranking spots in fantasy leagues. That's ridiculous. It was his last outing of the season and they didn't care. Um, yeah. Oakland's closer situation. Is it really Jake Diekman? They signed Sergio Romo and they signed we signed they signed Yusmera Petit or Pettit. Um, they traded for Adam Kolarek from the Dodgers, which is odd because again I'm like, what's wrong with Kolarek? But he's not going to be in line for saves. But they've got Diekman, Romo, JP Wend- JB Wendelkin. Who gets the most? Is it really Jake Diekman at age 34? Yeah, and you know you could throw Jordan Weems, Lutrevino. Um, they they have pieces they could use and they could go entirely committee, and I think they will. That's a team that. When they don't have a clear guy, they like to go committee. However, when they get a hot hand, they'll thrust him into the closer's role like they did with Liam Hendricks. The reason I have Deekman still listed as the closer for Oakland is that at the time of the Romo signing, most of the beat reporters were lukewarm on the idea that Romo would be their formal closer. It was my first thought that Romo would be, but they were looking at adding depth for the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, not specifically to close. And Deekman was the one they talked about as their likely closer at the onset of the offseason. Dude, you could draft today and take Jake Diekman as like the 20th closer and get zero saves or 25 saves. It's, it's, yep. I don't, I, I'm, I want to punt saves. I don't want to deal with this. And, you know, you're, we t- keep talking about committees, the Padres, the Rays, Oakland, good teams could go committee here. Dodgers could even do it if Jansen's not right. You know, it's, it's annoying. I, I am warming to the strategy that you talk up a lot of going dirt cheap and scooping up your Matt Barnes and Anthony Bass and Joaquin Soria types, players who I think are pretty likely to be the closers for their teams, and just ignoring the top tier. I, You know I've, I've made the endorsement for the top tier, but I don't really want to be in that middle ground. I don't want to be overpaying for a non-certain closer in round 10 or 12. I don't want to do that. I am out on that tier. Uh, speaking of that tier, it appears Jose Leclerc is healthy today, but who knows if he can throw a strike. I still think Jonathan Hernandez gets some saves there. Cardinals, um, hearing reports that Jordan Hicks will be the guy over Giovanni Gallegos, but we all rank Gallegos better. Why? Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe I should switch them. I'm thinking about doing that today. There's a good reason. Uh, Seattle got Ken Giles, but Giles is not pitching this year. He's the two-year deal, so he'll be their closer maybe in a year. So don't even bother this year. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, okay. So, so the Cardinals thing. The only reason with Hicks is, I think, is just he he has to prove he's healthy. He has to prove he's healthy and ready to take that job. And if he does it, yeah, I think it's going to be him. Seattle. And he's got like top five like upside because of yes. the strikeouts. Well, Absolutely. actually, not because of the strikeouts. He's never the, been the a major strikeout guy. But the velocity makes it very difficult for opponents to square up the ball against him, and that's going to minimize any of their big contact. There are going to be home runs occasionally, as is the case with high vo- high velocity type guys lean on the fastball. But I think Hicks has a a skill set that's pretty safe. Seattle, um, Mont- yeah, Rafael Montero, Montero being the closer. Yeah, Giles is out this year. But like, if I, back to, if Hicks is not striking out more than a, a, a guy printing then he's not who people think he is. He's not Ryan Presley. He's not a guy. He's not Razel Iglesias. I mean, those guys strike out more hitters. He's not a fantasy production comp for those guys, but he's still 
worthy of the closer role in St. Louis. And that's what we're talking about, whether he locks in the job security in a bullpen that had been entirely committee last season. Um, Seattle, the only other name I wanted to throw was just Andres Munoz. Um, Just keep the Ken Giles contract as a problem for Munoz year over year. But I do think he's going to be 100 percent. And in the second half of the year, he could he could be a, a value. Speaking of values, let's take a look now at what happened on Tuesday night in the mixed labor draft. Labor stands for League of Alternative Baseball Reality. Steve Gardner of USA Today runs that, does a great job, has been doing it for a long time. And there's a mixed league draft, which uh, our producer Kyle ran last night. Um, and then Tristan and I will be, Tristan's in the American League only auction. I'm in the National League only auction. That's the first weekend of March. Can't wait for that to happen. But let's talk about what Kyle did in his draft and really what's happened in a general sense. We're not going to rip Kyle, but like what happened in a general sense. So it's a draft, it's 15 teams. And we've been saying this a little bit, but it, it looked obvious again last night. Um, there's, there's really like five guys that I would consider for the number one spot. So the number six spot you don't want to have. And of course that's where Kyle and his partner, Stefania Bell had on Tuesday night. So he, he was hoping, I think that Soto would go to number six, but Soto went five. So he took Trey Turner. That's the obvious pick at number six, unless you want to take one of the starting pitchers. But do you agree that when you see a draft, it's like the big five and then Trey Turner and then the starting pitchers, that's how it kind of looks. Generally speaking, and for our game, absolutely. The difference for this one is because it's a 15-team mixed league, the premium on an ace starting pitcher is a little bit greater. So I would be more uncomfortable having the seven or the eight and knowing that probably Garrett Cole and maybe also Jacob deGrom are off the board, and then you're in a tough spot, especially at the eight spot. I don't think this is a bad place to be. Kyle, you got Trey Turner. You went the same direction that I did in the the first pitch Arizona Speakers League that we did, same format, 15 teams. I, I, I like it. I think Turner is a very balanced performer in rotisserie leagues. Yeah, I think the number six pick is not as bad as people think because there's like you can make a case that Trey Turner belongs in that top crew. If he's hitting 20-plus home runs and stealing 40 bases, because I don't yeah. think he's stealing 60 anymore. Yeah. Um, Tatis went first, Betts second, Acuna third, then Trout and Soto. First round looks normal to me. Second round is when I start to see some little bit surprises here and some trends where there's a big starting pitcher run, Darvish, Nola, Bueller, Castillo, and Jolito, all right before Kyle picked um, in round two. He was left with the choice of Scherzer, um, Flaherty, or Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw, yeah. Who would you have taken there? I'd take Scherzer. Really? Um, Okay. Yeah. Most people, I think, would take Flaherty. Most people would take the younger guy. Yeah, I, and and I'm tempted. To, you know I'm a very big Jack Flaherty fan. The reason I'm going Scherzer here is just that I think there's a little bit more evidence in the more recent history of elite numbers. And we do have to ask the question, what if last year was Flaherty regressing? What if it was? I, 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 I've told you, I'm dismissing everything he did from 2020, but I'm also taking a leap of faith in doing it. You got to do that with any of these three guys. It's an injury leap of faith with Scherzer or Kershaw, or it's a 2020 regression for Flaherty. We see Josh Hader going with the last pick of round four. So he was on the board. So that's pick what, 60 or so? So, yeah. So that, and then actually the guy who took him took Liam Hendricks with the next pick. So he took the top two closers. That's interesting. Would you do that? So you're in a 15 round league or even a 10 on ESPN or 12. Do you like the idea? of taking the top two closers off the board with consecutive picks after you've only got three other players. No way. But I'm also a labor curse when it comes to saves. 
the ones that I invest in, I usually take guys who are a little bit of a discount and they're ones that I'm pretty confident in the metrics and they blow up in my face. I hope I would, you realize I would, that's not a thing, right? Like cursing. Oh, like I curse. totally, I totally know it's not a thing. But my point is that things go wrong at closer and locking up two of them like that makes me really uncomfortable. You're putting yourself at a hole in other positions and if something does go wrong with one of the two, and we have to mention it, that what if Devin Williams becomes Milwaukee's closer or it's a straight split between the two, that hater pick is not going to look quite as good as you think it does. Okay. By the way, two of the things I noticed in the first two rounds I wanted to throw at you, Ozzy Albies being the 18th overall pick, and the other is you mentioned those starting pitchers went. And then round three had none until the last one, which is Brandon Woodruff. So it looks to me like there is a clear regarded top tier of pitchers, and then it's a big jump down. Yeah, that looks that way to me too. So sometimes before you get the top 20 starting pitchers, there's a – although I would say Lance Lynn belongs higher. He, he went a long time after some of these other guys. Like I, I have Lance Lynn regarded above Kershaw – but he went like 30 picks later. It was 54th seems... overall. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So before maybe I'm looking at it wrong. All right. So maybe I, maybe I, I rank Lance Lynn a little bit too aggressively, which is certainly possible. Um, the pick after Lance Lynn, Kyle took Tyler Glass now. And I would ask you this in a 10 team league, I, da- I draft differently than I would in a 15 team league. And here, can you take a chance on a guy you can't be sure is going to make 30 starts? Is that safe or not? I think you can because you're going to have to piece things together on the pitching side this year. You're going to have to. You're going to be forced to do it. I'm sorry, fantasy baseball players. You're going to be doing your pitching homework this year. And I know Kyle is up to that challenge. The only thing I'd point out in this case is if things go south, Kyle, you can you can correct me if I'm mistaken here. Mix, the mixed league also has the rule that the AL and the NL do where you cannot bench the guy if he's on the active roster. I believe that's accurate. They've been tweaking some rules this year to try to keep up with everything, but I think that one's dead. You, you're, when I look at your pitching staff up and down here, you have put yourself in... Very fragile. <laughs> it's going to be rough if some of these guys go south. You're going to be forced to make some tough decisions about cutting guys, and there's not a lot of depth on the top tiers. Let's, uh, let's talk about who the starting pitchers are then. Scherzer, Glass now, at appropriate spots. Um, Corey Kluber in round 11, but again, that's like pick... 160. That's yep. fine. But it's Herman a lock Mark- in if it goes south. Right. And there's risk. Um, did he spread the risk properly? Um, he got Herman Marquez of Colorado, who he's going to have to have. That is that's dicey. Because you're not taking him out for the weeks that they're uh, at home. Sean Manaya of Oakland. I thought that was a good value there. Nate Pearson around 18. I thought that's nice value too, because there's upside. A lot of strikeout upside. So what would you say overall to the the risks he took in balance? That's not a balanced starting rotation, right? Not a good mix of young and old. Is it a good mix of young and old there and healthy and not? Or I guess, I mean, Pearson's young, Scherzer's old, Kluber's old. I don't know. What do you think? It's your classic risk-reward pitching staff where I would love to be able to manipulate the matchups. And, you know, there, there, are, there are definitely a couple spots here where the, you know, the injury risk is the question. And if the guy goes on the injured list, then you could shuffle him off there and pick up a guy off waivers. You also got Kyle McKenzie Gore. I love doing that. I love taking the top shelf prospect who's not promised a job on opening day. So you can immediately reserve him, take a guy off your bench and then stream that pitcher based on those matchups. So that's a good move. But I, I feel like you're one 
locked in, trustworthy, Lance Lynn-esque starting pitcher. Short. That's the like if Lynn fell to you, that would have been brilliant. I wanted Woodruff or Lynn there. Woodruff, obviously, I underestimated what the league thought of him and missed on that. And that was one of my regrets. But I was I was planning on coming on here today and just peacocking all over the place because I got Eric's boy and Lance Lynn. I was gonna be so happy. He was gonna be thrilled. And we just <laughs> missed by a spot. One spot kills you every time. Ugh. Um, what else did he do a little bit later on? Let's see his closer situations. Kirby Yates, who I think is a nice value, although he took him right before Brad Hand and Kenley Jansen, who I think are just as flawed. You know, their their flawed performance wise, where Kirby Yates may be flawed physically, but I like taking Yates in round nine. Uh, then he waited a while. It looks like, oh boy, Diego Castillo, who could get double digit saves for Tampa Bay, Hector Neris. Look, I'm a Phillies fan, and I can't tell you who's going to get more saves between Neris and Archie Bradley. I think it's Bradley. But it may not be. And they just signed Tony Watson today. You know, maybe he gets some say. You know, like they could do almost anything there. Uh, You you jumped over the Rafael Montero, though. Rafael Montero in round 14 was the second. Right. And that's a that seems like a locked in guy. It's the other guys who may not be. But that should be enough saves just to look from Yates and Montero alone on a 15 team where you don't need more than two. You just can't have any injuries there. Yeah, and I agree. Neris is a good, you know, lottery pick there. And, and yeah. the problem with that is just if he's not the closer, I don't know if he gives you the ratios to stay in your lineup, you'd have to cut him, but so be it. Matt Whistler, round 26, was an interesting one. I, I do think that Whistler's improvements last year signal the ability to be a closer. It's a little like the Lucas Sims situation, and then, of course, Sims got injured. That's a That's an intriguing upside guy. Yeah, and some nice uh, hitter bargains. Jay Cronenworth, round 19. Yuli Gurriel, who I'm not a fan of, but in round 20 of this thing, that's, I'm a fan of that. Justin Upton in round 23. That's fine. Justin Upton could bat 250 with 20-plus home runs. That's all you're asking for uh, at that spot in the draft. He's already got Castellanos and Lourdes Gurriel and Ramon Laureano and Gritchick in his outfield. So um, it's an interesting outfield. A couple Toronto guys, maybe not a lot of batting average, but um and then Ketel Marte is on his team. So we mentioned Marte earlier, but we didn't mention what performance we expect. And I'm not insist- in implying that, you know, whether he plays center field or, t- or second base will affect his offense. But what offense do you expect? I mean, obviously, two years ago, MVP talent. Last season, no home runs, right? Or it, I mean, I don't remember it was zero or low. Or maybe it was no stolen bases. I, th- so, no, I think it was. Uh, yeah, it was a bad year. I remember that. But um it was one for one in stolen bases. So the numbers I had suggested that he had a pretty high floor and I was projecting somewhere in the range of the mid to high 280s in batting average. He could get to 20 home runs. I think he's a bit, uh, able to bounce back in stolen bases. I actually think it, it's 94th. No, I'm sorry. It's 96th overall. That's a steal. I'm sorry. Yeah, I agree with you. That's a steal. I mean, just on the chance. First of all, middle infield. And I don't know if he's going to steal bases, but that should be a 20 homer guy who is for a decent batting average. And he's at the top of a, of a lineup, which is maybe a little bit underrated. I like what you did, Kyle. Good team there. Best of luck in your, in your um, season. And, um, you know, we'll talk about us coming up in a couple of weeks. We got a little time there. I haven't even gotten, I have so many drafts going on right now, either email or like slow drafts that I can't even think about. Like what's that? We have a draft coming up next week. I haven't even started the prep for that. So, um, so many, <laughs> It's so a good thing we can prep really quick. <laughs> well, I don't even know it was available. That's part of the problem. Anyway, like lots of drafts going on, so it's very exciting, and uh, we'll talk about that later. Let's bring Kyle back in now. We got the Hash Brown segment of our podcast. I'm sure people have questions, and Tristan, who wins all his leagues, will answer them with the usual aplomb. Kyle, what do you got? 
Bill kicks things off. He wants to know who's your most underrated starting pitcher on the board this season. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, whenever you say underrated, I mean, one person's rated versus another person's rated is always, in fact, sometimes that's the deal with me and Tristan. I mean, like, Kyle Hendricks is underrated. He always is. But I'm ranking him so well now that he's not underrated. <laughs> so... Also, I think right? the, the ADP the, and most of the ADP numbers now are coming from NFBC since we've just got the new game uh, turned over. Uh, I believe he was being drafted generously. Let me get you the Kyle yeah, Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks. We're ranking him well, which means he's probably getting drafted well. So if you're underrated, I mean, to me, Lance Lynn was underrated on Tuesday night, but you know, um, who is underrated? Uh, I'll steal one, one before Kyle jumps in here on his. With you that I am on board with Chris Paddock. Chris Paddock's rebounding this year. I, he's too talented not to. This is classic Luis Castillo in the second year in the majors. Classic why, did Pat, why did Paddock pitch poorly last season? I mean, we don't know. It was a, it was a short season. It was adjustments. I'm quite convinced of it. I can I can dig up. Ah, my search thing just went kaplooey. Well, I mentioned... Um, his new teammate, Joe Musgrove, who we rank similarly to Paddock, actually. Paddock, you know, entering 2020, we ranked really well, top 20. And now nobody does, which seems like a little reactive, right. you know, a little overreaction to me. I like Musgrove. I just think San Diego will handle him well, and um, he'll get run support, so that should help. Underrated, underrated. I'm going through the rankings here, trying to find while underrated. You, while you do that, I'll throw Paddock's were a uh, slight loss of command on the four-seam fastball, and the curveball is the path to success. If he can do anything with that curveball, that's going to make the, the big breakthrough for him. But he's got that that good changeup and the solid fastball that if he recaptures the command of that of the latter, Castillo. Why is Sean Manaya? Why was he able to get Sean Manaya so late last night? Why do you rank him like fiftieth among starting pitchers? And I might as well. But I'm wondering, like, we used to like him a lot more. And I'm looking at his numbers last season, and the K rate was down. But I mean, I don't know. I kind of like Sean Manaya, and I like Oakland's ballpark. So why are we not expecting a little bit more? It's a good team. He should win. I mean, he's not going 200 innings. But I, if you want a bold prediction from me, I don't think anybody's going 200 innings. So. I kind of like Sean as a little bit of underrated starting pitcher. I guess uh, that makes some sense based on where I've been coming from. Let's see. You have another mention there. Marco Gonzalez, who we're ranking better now, so he's no longer underrated, basically. Um, the uh, David Price. You know, somebody tweeted at me, and I hadn't thought about it, but the Dodgers getting Bauer, is that price insurance because they're worried he either won't pitch or he's hurt? I hadn't thought about David Price in that way. I mean, he sat out 2020, but that doesn't imply he would sit out 2021. I just think they, they have money. They didn't care going over the, you know, uh, air quotes salary cap. And they were like, yeah, let's bring in Trevor Bauer. But David Price, I'm still expecting, like, if I, if Clayton Kershaw makes 25 starts, I think David Price makes 25 starts. They're not going to be as good, but they're going to be good. 350 ERA. I like David Price. I think he's underrated. I don't think anybody else agrees with me, though. No, I, I'm... I'm willing to get on board with that, that I think David Price is a good value. I, and I guess it's a fair question to ask, but I didn't look at it that way. I, I think that the Dodgers just wanted another guy that they could trust to lock in there. Remember how they were approaching the postseason? They were doing a lot of openers. I'm not sure that they're comfortable doing it to the degree that they had to in October. And that's why they added Bauer. Also, they just wanted to go all in and try and repeat. <laughs> it's it's fun to repeat. You go down in the history books. Um, 
I think Herman Marquez, we mentioned before, that Kyle took is a good value guy, especially in our game. And I'm specifying our game where you can pick and choose from the road matchups there. That's definitely one to throw out there. Um, I mean, I'm looking I, past I, your I top. Like yeah, I, I don't think I, I, I'm hearing that he may start the year in the minors. And because he's just not ready, he hasn't pitched in a long time, comes back from the injury and they have a little bit of depth there. So like I would get on board with Kopech and Spencer Howard, except I don't think they start the season in the majors. Their teams, you know, got other guys. And Nate Pearson not starting the year in the majors. I think a lot of these young starting pitcher types are, are just not coming up until June. You know, oh, I, don't well, think we're... I got my other guy. I got my other guy. Who's that? Dustin May. I'm, I'm a I don't think guy. he's in the rotation. And if that pushes his draft stock down to the point that yeah, he, draft skills guys always draft the skills, not the roles. I know, but like no Dodger starting pitcher. Oh, I guess Bauer could is approaching 200 innings, not Bueller, not Kershaw, not Arias, not price. I, I, and what did you think of my statement that nobody gets the 200 innings? Cause there's going to be so many six man rotations. I, nobody's going to take chances. I just think you're wrong, but I, I appreciate the fact that you believe that. I know it's not an uncommon belief, but I think you're wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. Um, who do I else think do it's I be like six players though? Not a lot. <laughs> well, if, if six guys get the 200 innings on in the last outing, then I'm not right technically, but I'm kind of right. Is, is what my point is, you know, like we can get into semantics here. But. Okay. Do you, do you think you, you just raved about Lance Lynn? Do you not think Lance Lynn's throwing two in innings? Cause I absolutely think Lance, Lynn I think Lance Lynn is one of them. I think Lynn and Bauer are obvious names here, but Garrett Cole is another obvious one. <laughs> Jacob DeGrom is another obvious one. I don't think DeGrom is. If you look at DeGrom and Nola couldn't be more obvious. I think. They want Noah to do that, yes, and Wheeler to do that. But I also think they're going to be really careful. And I do think that even if they don't have great options as their six and seven starters, you're going to see Philadelphia use other guys. Matt Moore, if he stays healthy, is making more than 30 starts, as long as he's not awful. You know, DeGrom <laughs> seems to have like, which is no, uh, you know. Which, which yeah, no we'll thing. see. We'll see. I don't know, DeGrom seemed to have like a bunch of little minor stuff last year. I don't know if he really missed any outings, but like, I don't know. I, just, I don't want to say he scares me. I've got him ranked as the number one guy, but 200 innings. He barely made it the last couple of years. So I'm going to say no on 200 innings for DeGrom. I, I, I would say Lance Lynn and Bauer the most likely because Lance Lynn is, is built that way. And because Bauer, they don't care because his contract is just for two years. So I, I just kind of look at it that way for that. And, and Bauer's not pitching every three days. That's ridiculous. <laughs> They're not doing it. And then maybe they'll fight. And don't short happy. pitch him a day. He's pitching every fourth day. Throwing you know, we didn't talk rest. about this on the last timely show about Bauer, but somebody pointed out to us in a tweet, and I think Zola discussed it as well. Bauer did not face any good offenses in 2020 when he won the Cy Young Award. And obviously, you can't can't vote for the Cy Young Award based on that, or not vote for him based on that, and give it to somebody else. But do you even care? Does that matter to you that Trevor Bauer didn't face any good offenses, whereas some other pitchers might have faced a lot of them? I and mean, Aaron Nola faced a lot of good offense. I'm not saying he should have been the Cy Young. But Bauer versus DeGrom, I mean, on strength of schedule, DeGrom faced a much tougher schedule than Trevor Bauer did. And, well, I, I can't and say. Really say almost numbers. the same numbers. Yeah. Um, yeah, it matters. It explains the 173 RA. By the way, 288 FIP. There you go. Generally speaking, he's a guy who has numbers – 
pretty close to one another, and usually the FIP is lower than a ZRA. So if you want to talk about where the regression lies with Trevor, uh, Trevor Bauer, ding right there. Uh, by the way, the XFIP for him, 360, 314, 433, 325 over the past four years. Skills-wise, he's been relatively consistent, and the 433 involved a lot of the command issues that he dealt with mid-2019. Uh, so, yeah, if you're, as long as you're preparing for him to give you a 250 to 275 ERA, I don't really care about that Central Division thing. Do you? Uh, you know, I ranked him as the fourth guy in the top tier, and then I started to think about it a little bit, and I actually moved a couple batters ahead of him and ba- Bieber. Mm-hmm. But I still have him, like, ranked 11, 12, 13 in that region. So I it doesn't bother me, but... Uh, it bothers me a little. I don't, I don't think I'm going to end up drafting Bauer in that spot in any leagues, which makes it ridiculous that I rank him there. Kyle, let's uh, get to the next one. Jared wants to know if he should worry about the depth at second base. And in a related question, he wants to know if Gavin Lux is going to play enough to matter this year. <sighs> he should be their second baseman. But they could play Max Muncy at second base. And and Max Muncy will bounce back, take his walks, hit some, hit some power. I don't see a problem with depth at second base necessarily i'm looking at it now i mean gavin lux again that's a guy who entering 2020 we all loved him we all thought major numbers were coming and they didn't because they didn't really play him and he didn't really hit but we still rank gavin lux in our top like 250 or so i don't see a depth problem i i I think there's some guys here like i like nick solak a little bit in the middle rounds uh chris taylor and david fletcher might be boring but they do what they do colton wong it's a little underrated, frankly. I, I don't want any part of Jonathan VR on the Mets. I doubt he plays a ton. Um, Lux and Jake Cronenworth and Cesar Hernandez a little bit late. No, I think that's okay. Do you agree? Yeah, uh, second base, I'm not wild about some of the guys in the middle tiers. So so in Lux's case, I think Chris Taylor is the bigger concern for playing time for, for Lux. I actually think the Dodgers are structured pretty well to send Lux back to the minors and just wait for an opportunity to open up. An injury creates second base uh, you know, maybe Taylor bounces to another position. You mentioned Muncy could play there. They have a lot of moving parts, and I don't think it suits them well to keep Lux in there as a part-timer, but I think he's a very good prospect. I do think that there's uh, production coming from him so long as there's a job available. I just... Second base has a lot of bounce-back candidates. Uh, we mentioned Marte. Beyond him, we had Keston Hira, Jose Altuve. Even Muncy, to a certain degree, is a bounce-back candidate. You could make the case for bounce-back for Mike Moustakis. He had kind of a so so year i i, later, I don't later it, yeah go ahead i don't think it's a thin position no i don't think either. there's any thin position but catcher and and closer but i think in the later rounds i mean you can get some bargains here i mentioned jonathan scope earlier ty france can hit there's no question ty france can hit he can hit right-handed pitching also um i think uh i want to see what brendan rogers does in spring training I'll, yep. Maybe I'll write up a story here a blog about like guys to watch in spring training brendan rogers has to be one of them i mean the what a, to- a good top prospect for years playing half his games at Coors Field. Oh, uh, Kyle, I'm about to draft Tyler Chatwood in a league. I don't know if I, I feel happy about this. It's a very, very deep league, and I don't need him. He's more like a bench guy, take a shot. Maybe you always wow. need him. <laughs> I'm, I'm juggling like three leagues right now. I'm on deck in this league, and I'm actually hoping Tyler Chatwood makes it to me. Okay, what My else? kind of league. John, head-to-head dynasty question. Patrick Corbin or Zach Granke? Who you got? Dynasty leash. Tristan doesn't want either one of them. I mean, Granke's older. Corbin did not pitch well in 2020. Corbin's really coming at a bargain right now. Um, 
He has a lot of improvements to make. It's got to be Corbin, right? I mean, how many more years is Granky doing this? I mean, I don't know how many how many more years his contract is. Why do you hate Zach Granky? You do? No, not real. Well, based on where I ranked him, you think I hate him? He's thirty seven. <laughs> um, no, you moved him up since the last time I looked. Um, two but spots. I moved him up two spots. <laughs> But you're concerned about him, and it yes. seems if, if you're concerned about him based on age, I don't buy that. If you're concerned on him, I mean, his ERA last year was 403, but uh, that I don't think his FIP was that high. His WHIP was fine. He struck out a guy per inning, which he hadn't done in a long time. He's on a decent team. I mean, I'm looking at all the numbers here, and I don't know why we're scared of Zach Greinke here. I mean, look at that BABIP against righties. That's bad luck. I think Zach Greinke's a bargain. But in a dynasty, you know what? In a dynasty, I would take him too because I want to win now. And I wrote about this, and I don't know where it's posted in the draft kit. But in your dynasty rankings, which are awesome, I my my only my only complaint, not a complaint, you know what I'm going to say, my was that you had like Nelson Cruz like number one ninety nine, and you had like Spencer Torkelson like number seventy. And I thought, well, maybe in a dynasty league in three years, but. This year and next year, I want Nelson Cruz, and you do too. So, like, your balance between a now you're making a face of me. Like, you can't tell me. I know you think that Nelson Cruz is going to fall apart this year because he's old, but he didn't fall apart in 2020. He's been one of the best hitters in baseball the last couple of years. So we got off track here. But my point is, <laughs> Zach Granke versus Corbin. Never, answer that yeah, question. <laughs> answer Corbin. Ver- I would say Granke over Corbin. You throw I'm me a mouthful here. You're. So, so we mentioned this is this is an awkward question for Dynasty because the only and the the only player who fits this description is Spencer Torkelson that you mentioned. None of the others do. You're looking at a short short term investment in any of these players, and I can't begin to tell you based on a five plus year ranking system how obvious it is that Torkelson is considerably more valuable than Nelson Cruz. It's not even a contest. Um, but I'm with you that Cruz gives it is you the a contest. Right it's, it's not absolutely. a contest. In a, in a dynasty league, it's not even close. Torque I don't care about 2025. Time. I care about the next couple of years as well. You're, you're just you're assuming you, that Spencer Torkelson and Andrew Vaughn are stars. You are ranking for a five-year draft right now. And on the border, Spencer Torkelson and Nelson Cruz. You are playing five years and you can't change anything. Who are you taking? It's not I'm a taking Torkelson, but your Cruz ranking is ridiculous. And I'll say this to you. A year it's ago... Not. When you ranked Gavin Lux number 100, how's that working out? You're assuming that all these top prospects work out and you can't assume that. You can't. I I, I know that. But my point is, if you are projecting, it says in the column, a five-year and plus, by the way, it's five years and change ranking system. Of course. And that methodology says it's obviously Torkelson. Cruz won't give you the five years. Nobody's saying that he will. But The question is great from the fact that it's, it's talking about and, and your point is dead on that you do want to win right now. And I will tell you that this is very clearly Zach Greinke because he looks more productive right now than Patrick Corbin does. Patrick Corbin, by the way, his fastball velocity declined last year and hitters could sit back and wait on the slider and righties clobbered him. That's a problem. That requires a major change. The only issue I have with Zach Greinke is that control still elite, but the guy he's another guy who lost fastball velocity. It's going to catch up with him eventually. It hasn't yet. And if why, it hasn't yet, I want him. Why are you assuming that whatever happened to Granky and Corbin in a two month period where they made 11 starts, 
carries over to 2021. Like, I'm just like, I want to be fair here. Corbin, I look closely into Corbin and 362 Babip. That's part of the reason he gave up so many hits. Velocity was down, but for whatever reason, Washington wasn't contending. Maybe he was just trying to get through the season, didn't have a spring training. I, I want to give Patrick Corbin a pass. And we ranked him as a top 20 starting pitcher entering 2020. And now he's not even top 40. Why? Like just because he had a bad 11 start stretch. I can't, I can't do that. I can't overlook all these players just because right. of 2020. I won't do it. It's when, like Yelich. When does fastball, when does a shifting fastball velocity matter to you? When does it matter? It'll matter in August of this year. If Corbin and Granky are still throwing so softly, then I'll look into it, and, but I and, can't do it based on last year. And the problem is doing a projection now and ranking and drafting today is that if that's how you want to play it, by that point, if it sticks, you have lost and you've lost badly. That's assuming that these pitchers that drop velocity are all going to be problems and you're drafting Nate Pearson ahead of them who may not even pitch. Health-wise, performance-wise. Right. That's, that's going to the dynasty question. If we're talking about, I mean, essentially, we're, we're turning this dynasty question about Greinke versus Corbin into a this year question, because that's really what the question is. And Greinke's 37, and he's showing a linear age, a linear age decline in terms of the fastball velocity. He is still excellent in terms of control, but at some point, it might be when he's 40, it's going to come back to catch him. And in of Corbin's course. case, you... You can't, maybe last year, just as I said, ramping up was a problem for him. Maybe, and you're right. And I am expecting some bounce back. But if it doesn't, if he continues to lose fastball velocity, the slider, the slider loses its, its effectiveness. Absolutely. He's, everything him. he's a matchups guy. That's what I'm I, afraid of. I, I am a little bit afraid of that. But like looking at your rankings, you've got Corbin ranked in the around the same spot as Tristan McKenzie, who is neither guaranteed performance nor a start, starting secure role. I just can't do it. I, I have to assume that Corbin bounces back to enough of a degree where he makes 30 starts with an ERA of 375 and I can count on him. He's not Bumgarner. And whereas McKenzie and Pearson and Gore, I have no idea, not only if they're in rotations, but if they'll be any good. So I can't do it. That's a, that's a redraft or a dynasty. Yeah. I'm, I'm rapidly trying to drag you, drag up the, uh, the ADP things from last year. Cause I want the two names came to mind and I want to make sure that they were realistic comps for each other. Okay. We answered um, the question. We think it's Granky over Corbin, and I think okay. that's fair. Okay. But. I'm, I'm going to throw it just as a, as a, as a odd in the dark. I want to be on the Denelson Lamette of this year, and I do not want to be on the John Lester of this year. And I bet last year that they were drafted pretty close to one another. Given the mm. choice, I'm going to take the guy that I think is going to give me potential high-end production as opposed to the blah, well, the ceiling's not all that great. I, that's the way I want to structure my pitching steps this year. I think we knew John Lester was bad before last season. I think Lamette would go better with another guy who we like. I'm trying to think of a guy okay. who we would. And also Lamette and Robbie Ray were drafted right next to each other. Okay. That's a little bit more fair. And Ray obviously was just horrendous. Um, I think the, I mean, look, the concern with Lamette is, and he's a guy to watch in spring training as well is, is, is he healthy? And if he's not healthy, I don't want any part of him. I'd rather take Kyle Hendricks. And I think I rank Kyle Hendricks ahead of Lamette, which might look ridiculous based on potential strikeouts. And actually, you rank Hendricks one spot ahead of Lamette, too. But it, it's just you have Lamette and Granky in the same same region. And 
I don't know if I would take Lamette because I, I just, I know Granky's making 30 plus starts, you know? And, and I'm so. with you on that argument. I think that's, you're dead on. It's a, it's a valid point. And I've been cooling on Lamette because I am worried about the durability. You're right. I mean, ultimately, our difference in dynasty rankings is going to be based on the fact that you're looking five years ahead and I'm looking three. And, and that's kind of how I view yeah. a dynasty league is, Look, I've got all these old players in my dynasty basketball league because I wanted to win now and next year. And I think I can. I'm going to win now. Um, but you're ranking for five years out. And I'm like, five years? I don't even know if I'm going to be uh, around. So I view it a little bit differently. Of course, Nelson Cruz is not going to be hitting in five years. He's not going to be hitting in three years. But I want him now. But it's just the strategic angle to it. This Because we mentioned labor in Kyle's mixed league draft. And you know, you're NL and I'm AL in a couple of weeks. I, I do have to ask you, do you think that you can legitimately go into the NL draft this year trying to take a largely Zach Greinke-esque strategy to your pitching staff? I'm I'm wondering this year whether that's the right way to go just for this year. I don't know what I'm going to do. Because uh, I, I I think last year and in recent years in NL labor, I would take one, one anchor, like a Scherzer type. And then a lot of cheap starting pitching. I've been able to get away with that, as you've seen. Like a lot of dollar and two dollar starting pitchers who who turned out to be very good. I don't know if that's going to work this year. Right. Um, and it's, I don't know about cutting saves. Does it make cha- make sense to do like what Kyle did, where you take an awful lot of chances and have to piece it together, or is it better to go with? In the past, you'd be the guy on Lester three, four years ago. You'd be the guy on Madison Bumgarner. People would just cool at eleven dollars, and and it was a great buy. I, I see your point, and actually, Kyle probably agrees with you when it comes to philosophy entering a draft like that or an auction. But you guys are saying, I don't care if I finish in second or third. It's all about winning. I can finish last and it won't bother me. Whereas I'm going in saying, I want to contend and try to win. It's the difference in you and I based up philosophies. I keep building NL labor teams to contend, but not necessarily win, whereas you can win or finish 10th. You're shaking your head at that? Nope. Because that's, that's what keeps I don't, happening. I don't, no, that's not. I don't finish 10th. I'm usually like 6-7 when my things go sour. I, but I, you're I, looking at it as I go for the win now. I'll take Kluber, whereas I'll take no, somebody I, who's I believe I believe in doing the pitching homework. And I use the word homework because people hate homework. I have two kids who are doing school here. They hate homework. Who does like homework? Nobody wants to do it. I will do it. If you're willing to do it, it's completely successful. And yeah, sometimes it results in a seventh place finish, but I think I can piece things together. It's a different approach than you're taking. That's all. No, I think I can too. You're assuming I don't do the homework. I do the homework. I just, you know, I'm getting cheap starting pitching, but they're not aces. I I don't know that I've ever seen a pitching staff of yours where you put yourself in position to do the amount of homework that, for example, Kyle's going to have to do on his team this year. And Kyle, I'm sorry. You know, you're going to have to do that. You know that five pitching spots on that staff are going to have to be manipulated. You know it, right? I do. I'm okay with it. I'm willing to do it. It's, it's Eric, part of that. And it could, like you said, it could go completely sideways. But like Eric said, in labor specifically, I'm looking for the win. Like for me, it, in this specific league, I really don't care if I come in third. Okay. Well, then, then that's maybe that was, that's what I was trying to point out. I think we angered Tristan somehow. But um, no, no <laughs> I, think, okay. I think it's. I think it's a very interesting contrast. I told you, I sit there and I watch you in that room and I find it amazing how you always get that $10 pitching guy who's not that exciting, but a great value. I don't, every year. Don't placate me now. I'm just saying, like, I'm going to contend, I think. I may not win. You have a better shot to win. 
maybe the way you build it or what you do during a season. I'm very interested to see how Kyle does in this with this team because I have no idea what Corey Kluber is going to do. I just don't. <laughs> but I probably wouldn't have taken Corey Kluber you know, in the draft. Give me your projection on Corey Kluber. I'm really curious. I can't, I can't do it. I, I 25 starts at the. I can't even see that. I mean, you gotta you stay- gotta play something on it right now. You're 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 getting Kyle a big steak dinner for this. If you're wrong, what's the projection? Love not, this. I haven't seen Kyle in years. Twenty starts, ERA three fifty. You know, K per inning. I I'm think that's fair. That. Very, and fair. I think that'd be good value for where he took him in the draft. Agreed. All right, we're getting very long on this uh, podcast episode, which should have ended 10 minutes ago, but Tristan and I started arguing. We're done for today. Check out our draft kit. It's very cool. Lots of rankings, lots of write-ups, and a lot more to come. We'll be adding to it as the weeks go by. Um, pitchers and catchers are already there. More players are reporting the spring training next week. Spring training games are in about 10 days, I believe, health permitting, of course. And then the season, I think, is April 1st, I believe. Um, so. Anyway, lots of good stuff there. If you have a problem, tweet us. Um, Maybe we can help. Maybe we can't. Um, We'll have a next show, I think, next Monday. Thank you so much, Kyle Sapi. Nice team he built there. And to Tristan Happy Cockroft, thank you so much to you as well. We're done for today. I am Eric Carabell. Have an awesome weekend weekend.